We're not live already. Will you stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to be in Matthew chapter 4 from verse 23. I will put it like this. It's going to be a few verses, a Calvary Chapel short teaching, but it's going to be quite potent. So please take, take, take notes and pay um, close attention to today's teaching. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 through 25. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Now, great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Amen. Lord, we thank you. For this short passage, I pray for clarity. I pray against the spirit of confusion. Lord, may we be very attentive to your word this morning and sensitive, Lord, to your spirit. Lord, I, I feel that this message is going to speak to many of us, bringing about the reality of the supernatural into the natural. So, Lord, open our ears and our hearts to receive from you this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> now, the last message in our Make Jesus Known series was called The Upward Call of God. The Upward Call of God. And we heard at this time that John and John the Baptist had been put in prison. The reason for this is for rebuking Herod publicly because Herod had just married his half-brother's wife, Herodias. John, doing the right thing, called it out publicly. And for this, he was imprisoned. And it was at this time that the followers of John the Baptist now turn their attention to Jesus. As he said, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He must increase, but I must decrease. So Jesus at this time says it departed to Galilee. He made what I called a tactical withdrawal. Jesus, the Son of God, realized political tension, the religious tension, and decides to get out of there. This, quite literally, is not his hill to die on. He gets out of there and goes to Galilee. The text tells us, in Matthew chapter 4, a little earlier, that Jesus came into our in Capernaum, in the regions of Zubalen and Naphtali. And the reason for this if you look with me in Matthew chapter 4, verse 14, the reason for him departing, 
amongst others, is this. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. And then Matthew goes on to quote Isaiah chapter 9. There's things happen in the supernatural realm of God and in the so-called natural realm of what we're used to. However, God's word, God's prophetic word has gone into effect and everything is in motion. Now after this, if we look down to verse 18, we hear that Jesus is calling these four fishermen. He simply says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The emphasis is on, I will make you. You don't make yourself fishers of men. I will teach you, I will make you, and I will train you to be fishers of men. We have Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. James and his brother John. And they immediately, the text says, left their nets and their boats and followed after Jesus. We see in this upward call of God, When Christ calls us, it demands an immediate response. We're not to delay. We're not to put it off, but literally put everything down, literally at his feet, say, yes, Lord, lead me, teach me and guide me, and I will follow after you. But just before this, look at verse 17 with me. Jesus makes... His first public proclamation. He says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is what he began to proclaim. Very similar to John the Baptist. However, if John the Baptist was saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is coming, Jesus is saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come. It has now arrived. Now, what will the difference be and what will this look like? What's going to be the difference between the ministry of John the Baptist and the ministry of Jesus Christ? The Bible tells us that John did no miracles. And we're seeing Jesus' ministry that they are full of them. Today's message is entitled, The Gospel of the Kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. Now, will you turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 24. This is a passage which is well known among us as end time or eschatological passage. But at the end of this discourse, Jesus says this. Matthew 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Now, if I was to ask the world, what is the gospel? What is the gospel to most people? Maybe some will say, well, it's gospel music. Or gospel choir. 
or gospel singers. Or possibly Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the four gospels. Now, if I was to ask the church, what is the gospel? They'd probably quote John 3.16 to me. Christ come and died for our sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And this is all good and this is all right. However, it says this gospel of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom. So what is this gospel of the kingdom? Now, it must have been important. Because Jesus as it were, bookends his ministry talking about this gospel of the kingdom. In the beginning there, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached. And at the end, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached. So it was clearly important to Jesus. Now I want to try and simplify this before we go forward and look into some passages. The gospel is simply the good news. Glad tidings, the gospel. But the kingdom is this. It's the rule or reign of God. It's the place where God rules and reigns. It's a place where God governs. Where God oversees and is in charge and where God is responsible. So it could be put like this. So the gospel of the kingdom is the good news that God will now rule and reign as king to those who are willing to accept him as such. Let me read that again. The good news is that God will now rule and reign as king to those who are willing to accept him as such. As what? As king. I'm talking about the Christian realm as well. That the Christians will bow down that the Christians will submit, where there will be no more arguments about what the Word is and what it says and its basic understanding. And then God will come in, literally take the reins and rule. That would be a simple definition of the kingdom and the gospel. Now, before, this is how we have to remember this, it was about rules and regulations. Okay? It's about sacrifice. It's about keeping commandments, the 613 mitzvot laws in the Old Testament. That's where it was before, which, as we know, none of us can keep. Is that true? I've even spoken to people who profess that they keep them. And all I would say, well, you've broken it because you've lied. You cannot do it, you cannot obey it and keep. The rules. We find out later that Jesus fulfills them. So that's then. What about now? Now is that God will rule and reign in the hearts of man. Return with me to John's Gospel, chapter 1. It's very important that we get this because, as it was in the time of the church at Galatia, man is once again mixed in rules and regulations and laws with grace, which is a perversion. You will make the, the gospel of grace of null effect. Paul writes to the church at Galatians, says, if you put yourself under the law, you're effectively putting yourself under a curse, 
unless you can keep all of the laws all of the time. And the last time I was in Israel, there's no temple for sacrifice. And I don't think the imam will let you go in the mosque to do it. It's over. That period, that dispensation is finished. This is what John has to say. John chapter 1, verse 17. He says, For the law was given through Moses. Here we are, brethren. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law came through Moses. What for? For a time. What time? To keep everyone in order as a shepherd keeps his sheep in a pen until the revelation of Christ. Rules, sacrifice, ceremony, regulations to keep the Gentiles away from the Jews and the Jews away from the Gentiles until Messiah comes through that line of the tribe of Judah. So what was the law? Well, the book of Hebrews tells us it was a shadow of good things to come. The sacrifices were a reminder that your sin is not done away with. And you're going to have to go each year up to the temple to make sacrifice and offering. It's a continual reminder of the Day of Atonement that you've not been fully atoned. So what's grace? Speaking this very plainly, I think it's very important that we get it in our heads, the difference between law and grace, because there's a muddle going on. Grace is simply God's unmerited favor. Unmerited means not deserved, and favor means approval. It's God's blessing upon you to receive you and pour out his unmerited favor on something that you can't earn. You cannot add to the cross because it's finished. Also, you cannot take away from the finished work of the cross. Amen? It is completely, complete, and perfectly perfect, the work of the cross. Now, why is this? Why do we need all of this? What's all this Bible stuff about? What happened? Well, I, I heard this this week. It was put so simply. A minister said this. He said, the world has got into the wrong hands. That's very simple, isn't it? The world has got into the wrong hands. It's not quite the same when parents say they've got in with bad company. They've fallen into the wrong crowd. The whole world has got into the wrong hands. All the way back to Genesis chapter 3, if you can believe it. If you don't believe the Bible, you won't believe it. I can't help you. You'll need a revelation of that. But if you want to know an outworking of the reality of the fall, it's this. Sinful man. Sin, violence, corruption, adultery, murder, jealousy, hatred, envy, strife. Do I need to say any more? That's the reality. Read your papers, look on the news. Speak to the person up the road. That's the reality. That's the outworking. I don't believe we need any more proof. And when something tragic happens, man tends to say, well, that was evil. But where's that come from? You see, I'm simple enough to say, well, the Bible says it's the enemy. It says it's the devil. It's Satan. 
but the world thinks it's clever and that they are going to deal with the problem. That man is ultimately the end of all things. That's humanism. Man is the measure of all things. There's nothing above it. It's just us. Well, my argument is we're not doing very well. We're not doing very well. Turn me to 1 John chapter 5. Now, the early Christians knew this very well. And I think it's good to remind us to actually read the Bible rather than just hear it from me or another preacher to read it for yourself. Because I can't convince you of this if you don't see around you what is going on as evil. 1 John chapter 5, 19. The church there says, we know that we are of God. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. We know that we are of God. Well, my question is, do we? Do you? Do I? How do we know? How do you know that you're of God and the rest of the world is under the sway of the evil one? Let me put it like this. These early Christians said, we know that we are of God. Because they've experienced God. Have you experienced God in your life? Have you had a revelation of God in your life? This is the question. Because if we're dealing with a God of revelation and you haven't had it, what are you doing at church? Are you trying to learn? Maybe you've been here for five years, ten years, twenty years. Have you had that revelation? Have you experienced the power of God in your lives? So let's go back to our passage. Matthew chapter 4. We can look at verse 23. I'd have to say that this message of the gospel of the kingdom is probably one of the most perverted um, understanding in the church and the most perverted by Satan himself because he makes it look silly and foolish to put people off. It's very simple. It's a very simple effect. We'll see that as we go through this passage. Now, verse 23 of Matthew chapter 4 says that Jesus went about Galilee teaching in their synagogues preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Do you believe that? Do you believe that text? Okay, turn with me to Luke chapter 4. And this is where we will see where Jesus begins his ministry in his hometown of Nazareth. Luke chapter 4, we read from verse 16. Now he, Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. 
And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he, Jesus, closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes of those who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The overall message is this, your captivity is over. That's his message. Your captivity is over. God, he's saying, has anointed me to preach this good news and to proclaim freedom to those who are bound by Satan. So who was that at the time? Well, it was everyone. It was kings, it was princes, it was the priests, the people, and their so-called enemies all bound, even turned on one another by the enemy. This is what the Bible saying, whether you believe it or not. They've believed it through the centuries. But I would say, these days, the church, by and large, thinks they're smarter. And they've outsmarted the Bible and our forebears. Oh, that was all back then. That's all hocus pocus. This isn't the reality now. That is a dupe itself. That is it. What about today? Well, I'd say everyone is under the power and sway of the enemy. Again, I'm simple enough to go, well, that's what the Bible says. I look around me and say, what is the answer? What is going on here? But I can't come up with anything else. The man is kept busy with all conspiracy theories and trying to figure everything out. It's all in the same cauldron. You're just studying the enemy with the enemy means. Rather than a godly mindset being transformed and renewed by the spirit of your mind, you're trying to figure it out. And you're just going around like a little hamster in a wheel. Do we take God at his word? Today, people are bound. And you could be the president. It could be a prime minister. It could be professing Christians who are bound, your family, friends, and, and colleagues, and so forth. Are you aware of the spiritual oppression that they could be under? Now, Jesus' healings. Look in this list. Look at this list. Why is this so important? Because it's this. It's a public declaration that the power of the kingdom has come on earth. That's what's happening. It's a public declaration. Turn me to Matthew chapter 12. Brothers and sisters, if you start thinking in this way, you will see things you've never seen before. When I first come into the revelation of this teaching, I ask God to show me, is this reality? Is there a supernatural demonic realm as well as this natural realm and a heavenly realm? All I can say is he was quick to answer me. Matthew 
chapter 12. I'm going to read from verse 22. Then there was one brought to him, that was Jesus, who was demon-possessed, a blind and mute, and he healed them, so that the blind and the mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Could this be the son of David? Now, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Read carefully, 25. But Jesus knew their thoughts. See, he's the word of God. He can discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. He knew their thoughts and said this. Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. He's saying, this is ridiculous. Then I'm doing this by the hands of Beelzebub. This is foolishness. If Satan, verse 26, casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? However, he says this, if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, there will be your judges. There was hocus-pocus ways of trying to deal with the demonic oppression in the time of Christ, and it was unsuccessful. But, verse 28, if I, says Jesus, cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Surely the kingdom of God. Now look at the people. Could this be the son of David? They recognized there was something kingly about him. There was something different about this ministry. Here, we see two kingdoms. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. This is what the Bible is teaching. We realize that Jesus is greater. His kingdom gets the victory. Amen? Now, why would the enemy want you to not understand this truth? Or me? Or the church, by and large? Makes it sound silly. Superstitious. Medieval. And I must admit, whenever I looked at anything of this type of ministry, it looks utterly ridiculous. And that's why people ignore it. And that's why people remain bound. Now, the Pharisees did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, many people have asked me this, and I think their expectations were wrong of the Messiah. Also, false teaching and interpretation of the text. Now, if you remember when Brother James Gardner here taught the first time he taught, if you can remember that, then you're a genius. I'd advise you to go back and listen. The understanding of the Pharisees was completely mixed up with Babylonian teaching and interpretation. No wonder they didn't recognize him. The interpretation was wrong. What they were expecting wasn't Christ in this sense. Let's have a look. Matthew chapter 11. What I'm saying is this. If you get your theology wrong, the outcome would be wrong. 
we'll take it back a step further. Matthew uh, chapter 11. Now, John the Baptist. Let's actually look from verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding the twelve disciples that he departed from there to teach and preach in other cities. If you look in chapter 10, just very briefly, this is what he commanded them. Chapter 10, Matthew verse 7. Jesus told his disciples, Go and preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Go and preach this. Now, Back to 11, verse 2. When John the Baptist had been put in prison, he heard about the works of Christ, and he sent two of his disciples and asked him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? John's been thrown in prison. He's just a man like anyone else. He's like, well, what's going on? What's Jesus doing? Maybe he's feeling discouraged when you get thrown into a prison. I know we all think we're, we're brave for Christ, but none of us have been banged up yet, have we? Not yet. Now, Jesus answered the delegation. He said this. Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. He didn't say go back to John and say, yeah, tell him I'm the Messiah. Tell him to relax. Tell him what you hear and what you see. What is it? Verse 5. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Which gospel? Gospel of the kingdom. Not John 3.16. The gospel of the kingdom. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. This was the gospel that was being preached. The kingdom of God has come. Again, or these healings was an open declaration for what God is doing among his people. It's definitely a sign. <clears throat> Jesus came at the right time, born in the right place and preaching the right message. Now, let's have a look. Matthew um, 4, verse 24. Now, this type of ministry will naturally bring attention as it did with Jesus. Verse 24, Matthew 4, says, Then his fame went throughout all of Syria, and they brought to him all the sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Now, Jesus' fame would spread because of this ministry. I remember... And I'm reminded of a story of a missionary that went to Pakistan. He was going to teach in a church that held 300 people. When he arrived in Pakistan, he said, well, how many people are you expecting to come? The pastor said, about 1,000. I didn't really realize how he was going to fit 1,000 people in a church of that size. 6,000 people turned up. Why? Because of healing. Because they knew that the Christians pray for healing. Now, these healing miracles of Jesus, most of them, bar one, was previewed in the Old Testament. 
either by Moses or Joshua or Elijah or Elisha, apart from this one of the casting out of demons. This stood out. Why is this? Because it was an open clash between the two kingdoms. It's never been done before. God has come among his people and is going to do away with the power of Satan. And he's done it openly. How embarrassing. How frightening for the enemy to realize that his time is short. And that Jesus is victorious. Turn me to Luke 17. I know many of you are familiar with these passages. But I wonder deep in your heart, how much of it do you believe? How much of it do you believe? Was it just for then? Or is it for today? Does God operate in the same way? Luke 17, verse 20. Now the Pharisees, and look, they may be very legit. Maybe they are starting to inquire, is Jesus the coming one? What's going on? They asked him the question. Luke 17, verse 20. It says, now he was asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come. And Jesus answered and said to him, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. What does he mean by that? It's not like a natural kingdom. with a king and huge pomp and ceremony. Nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. Now it can be translated like this. The kingdom of God is within you or is within your reach or the kingdom of God is within your heart. It could be translated many different ways. The way I interpret it is like this. The kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God was personified in the person and the work and the ministry of Jesus Christ, who is the king of the kingdom. He was there in their midst. The kingdom of God is literally among you. Here I am. Here I am. Now, this theologian <clears throat> I was reading last night, he put it like this, and I have to agree with him. He said, the kingdom of God is the realm in which God's reign is, listen, experienced. Not just for experience's sake. But the kingdom of God which is within you is the reign where God is experienced. Have you experienced God's reign and power in your life? This is a serious question. Where God has come in and taken the reins of your life. Have you experienced this? An area where Satan has been ruling for years. An area that for many will bring shame and misery. But all I want to say is this. God has the power to deal with them. But I believe there's millions of Christians who are still bound 
by the enemy. I would say because he's made this ministry look so silly and the power of God and the supernatural look so ridiculous that people have thrown the baby out with the bathwater and remain bound. How do I know this? Well, I've been a minister now for six years. I've been ministering to people for about 15 years. And until someone's experienced the reign of God, the kingdom experience within them, they remain bound. They've not heard about the gospel of the kingdom. Now, this power has the power to set free from oppression, addiction. These are people I've dealt with, Christians, professing Christians for years. People who suffer with pride. That's something to suffer, or, or lust, or envy, or strife, or arrogance, or ignorance of the Scriptures. God has that power to set you free. So the good news is this. That's a very short message today. Is the good news is that God will now rule and reign as king to those who are willing to accept him as such. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you this. If you are not willing to bow down to his authority, he's not willing to work with you. I actually feel compelled to share this text with you. Turn with me to John chapter 2, please. I'm not talking about trying to earn your salvation. I'm talking about having freedom in the Spirit from the God who saved you. He wants you to walk more freely in the Spirit. Not religion. Done with religion. Doesn't work. Failed. You see, if I deal with things from the front, it saves me time dealing with you individually and myself individually. And I know the oppression that came on me last night is to stop this very simple message. I'm not asking anything from anyone for anything. I just want to get this message across. Look what Jesus says. John chapter 2, verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many, what? Believed in his name. When they saw the signs which he did. Many people, later on in this text, we realize multitudes start following Jesus from everywhere, Jordan and everywhere else. But look, verse 24. But he did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. You're willing to commit to Christ? He's willing to commit to you. You realize why you've not been freed in this area? Because the kingdom of God has not been experienced in your life. I'm not talking about signs and wonders. I'm talking about freedom that you may worship God. And I know several people here have prayed and received this freedom in many areas of their life. Been released from things like shame or trying to be perfect before a holy God where only He is perfect. The good news is that God will now rule and reign if you bow down and submit and be obedient to Him. There is no other way. The upward call of God demands obedience. If you love me, Christ said, you will keep my commandments. He's not joking. And everything has been laid out for us. 
Christ has put it on the table for us to pick it up. But you need to put down the things in your life which are holding you back from picking up what he has put down. You understand? There's no half-heartedness. There's no gray areas. Christ has done it all and he wants you to have it. Let me read what the early church said. And we're going to pretty much leave it there. I'm leaving you with more questions than answers. And that's fine. They said, we know that we are of God. And the whole world lays under the sway of the wicked one. How about you? Do you know that you're of God? Is he really in full control of your life? Have you experienced God in your life? God is calling you into a relationship. That needs to be realized and experienced in your life. Where God is willing and has done everything to set you free. That things are clear in your mind that you know exactly where you're going. There is no fear in your life. For you know him, wonderful, and he knows you. It's all about one word, relationship. That's what he wants. He wants a relationship with every one of us. It's a basic message, I get it. But how many of you this morning are walking in that freedom of Christ? It's all available. But sometimes, brothers and sisters, you have to get desperate. I heard a minister say, God doesn't answer all prayer. He only answers desperate prayer. And I would have to agree with that minister. You know, when they were struggling with oppression during the great revival in the Hebrides, the minister himself was under oppression. Why? Because he's teaching biblical truth. He asked a young man who was new to the faith about a week. He said, I knew that he was closer to God than I am. Some of the first will be last and the last first. So he asked him to pray. He said, you pray. You pray for the meeting. And he prayed this very simple prayer. He said, God, there's power there. Let it loose. God, there's power there. Let it loose. And the whole place broke out in revival. I'm not talking about singing songs for 24 hours. I'm talking about repenting and realize and experience the reality of God. The minister went back 10 years later. They're all still Christian. Why? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. They were in awe of his majesty. The king had arrived at the meeting. You want that in your life? It's all available. The question is, have you experienced God? I'm literally going to leave it there. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the richness of your word. And the fact, Lord, that you came down to save us. Lord, we know it's not by works, our salvation, but it's by grace and grace alone. And we thank you for that unmerited favor. Well, Lord, you come to set the captive free. I pray, Lord, for anyone who's heard this word, will come to you, who is the great deliverer. You are the great I am. For Lord, there's power there. Let it loose. Let it loose. Amen.